Our complaints are declarations of victimhood. So when I complain, I'm saying I'm powerless over this thing. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella. Welcome back. I am joined today by Aaron Anastasi. And Aaron, I am so glad that we connected because I read your book. As the universe would have it, it hit me right at the exact time that I needed to read it. So I love when that happens. And I can't wait to introduce you to my audience. But before I do, I'm not going to read this bio because I'm seeing things like master's degree from Princeton Theological Seminary and then something about being a serial entrepreneur with this huge YouTube channel, LA-based actor and filmmaker. Aaron, like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know a lot, a lot of people look at like the things that I've done and they're like, how does this have any type of like thorough line? Like, it, do you just, is it like a big ADD kind of thing where you like, you do something and you switch and you switch and you switch and you switch. And uh, yeah, so that, that might be part of it. I, I think what I, what I do over time is I get really, really obsessed with something and, and I just focus hardcore on it for like months or years or whatever. And then when it has some level of sustainability, on its own, I find a new passion and I just kind of dive into that. So yeah, the, the, the businesses, all the entrepreneurial stuff is super fun and that's online singing lesson, online guitar lesson, online, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that, uh, that is like a nice source of income, which is great. But I, I focus maybe like an hour a week on that now. And most of my time, as you said, is it's mostly, I'm in acting class, I'm in auditions, I'm shooting on set. Um, and I'm coaching. I, of course, love coaching people. So anyway, that's that's a little bit about that. <laughs> I love this because you do have, I mean, you're being rather modest, but you have the number one singing and life lesson channel on YouTube and you have over like 11 million views and, you know, we won't go on. But yeah, you are not just an actor and a filmmaker, but you are a life coach. That's a, that's a, such an interesting combination to me. And I can't wait to share sort of how that happened and what that evolution looked like for you. But tell us where would we have seen you recently or where will we see you soon? Probably, probably not yet. Like the stuff I've done so far is so small that it hasn't had like a wide, like a wide audience, but I'm pretty new. I'm just, it's been a few years, but I, you'd probably see me more at this point on commercials than you would on like film television stuff. But I've done, I actually just did a pretty big indie film that comes out in like a year. So you may see that, but that'll be a while. And then I just did a, you know, commercial that you'll see on ESPN, you know, so that's, mm -hmm. I'm just kind of getting, you know, what I do myself is I'll produce stuff that I really like. I'll produce a film that I really like that, you know, I'm the lead of and all that stuff and I'll write it and that's super fun. But I haven't broken into the world yet to where people are like offering me, Hey, do you want to act opposite Denzel Washington on this new blockbuster film? <laughs> And I say not yet. I my that's my goal. I just not there yet. Talk to me on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next week, <laughs> yes. Today, not even close. Well, we had Jenna Elfman on the show. Are you familiar with any of Jenna's work? 
Yes, I am. Okay. Well, we had Jenna on the show and she was like, yeah, my whole life started with a Sprite commercial. I mean, she had a huge history in dancing. Like dancing was what singing is for you. Dancing was for her. She's subject matter mm. expert, super gifted. Uh, people were interested. Yeah. And then her entire life changed because of a Sprite commercial. And now, now everybody knows who Jenna Elfman is. Absolutely. It's, it's What a funny, funny industry. It It is such a bizarre industry. Like most of the stuff I've gone into... Uh, it ha- has a little more of a clear, not totally clear path, but there's at least like you kind of know what to do next. With acting and filmmaking, it it is it's different. You, there are literally 500 different ways that it happens, and you just like you have to pick one, two, or three, and kind of do those and hope for the best and do good work and train. It's it's really kind of a bizarre but a fun and exciting and very challenging industry. Well, and you know what is super exciting and challenging about that industry is man, does it teach you about failure, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. If I didn't, if I, if I, if I didn't have humility before that, I am like, I literally, I'm in class and I feel like absolutely humiliated about once a week. I mean, it is so <laughs> humbling. <laughs> you just defined acting like in a yeah, word. <laughs> pretty much. But truly, truly, like if there was ever a more literal example of how to tolerate failure, how to understand that failure is progress, I can't think of another industry that is a better example of this. You got to be able to take other people's versions of you on the chin and still walk out and, and still be you. How do you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Ask me in a year or two. No, I I was actually just talking to one of my actor buddies about this today that there's a there's a unique like with acting and it's probably not just acting, it's probably a lot of things in the world, but but of going and and getting turned down so many times like you need to build up like a rhinoceros skin, but it, but the the challenge is not getting a hard heart while you're building a hard skin. And so keeping a soft moldable heart of like humility and of service and of love and and all that stuff while building up a tougher outer outer shell. So it's 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 quite a lesson. I talk tell my wife all the time that this is even if I didn't love acting, which I love it so much more than just just about any other endeavor in my life. But uh, even if I didn't love acting, this would be the perfect thing for me right now at for the maximum amount of growth uh, and maximum amount of failure that can just make me, you know, the person that I want to be five years from now, 10 years from now. Well, you wrote this book, Aaron, The Voice of Your Dreams, Turn Down the Voices of Limitation and Turn Up the Volume of Success. What inspired you to write this and what equipped you to write this book now? Yeah. So I wanted to write a book for a long time, like about 10 years. I really wanted to. And I started, you know, I was telling people, oh, I should write a book about that someday. Like someday I will write a book. It was kind of that noncommittal language for a long time, which showed in like the result that I didn't actually write a book. So for (laughs) this one was it was different. It, it was something it was it was something that I, I felt compelled to say and compelled to do because I I had pretty radical transformation in my life maybe five, six, seven years ago working with a coach and my life shifted so radically. I mean, literally, you know, and even I even as I think about it, it sounds like a infomercial, but like went from like making no money to making six figures, creating a seven figure business, being in a stagnant dating relationship to being in like a really fun, adventurous, thriving marriage to be to not pursuing my dreams, not really the ones that were like deep, dark kind of dreams to really being out there and doing it. And so and this all kind of happened like in the course of about a year. And so these transformational principles were so radical to me that I 
And then I started working with clients and watching them work for them too. And I was like, these ideas need to be out. Like people need to know this because this is super attainable for anybody and their life can change so radically. So that was like the motivation. Okay, now this is something I'm ready to write this. But then what actually like helped me to complete the book was I, I knew I could not write a book. I can't write a book, but what I can do is I could write two pages a day mm. for, for five days a week. And that I can do. And so I just, I chunked it down really, really, really small and just said, I, if I write 10 minutes today, like I'm going to let that be a win for me. Cause I knew that if I could just sit down and write for five or 10 minutes, like force myself to do that, then after five or 10 minutes, all the limiting voices that are shouting, you suck, this isn't going to work out. It's never going to be published. You're a mimic, you're a fraud. Nobody's going to, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It begins to quiet down as I'm in that, that flow of writing because I love to write. And two or three hours later, I like, <laughs> get up and like, Oh wow, what happened? And so I would do that five days a week. And I, six months later, I, I had a manuscript. Well, and that story and that evolution is exactly what I wanted to talk with you about today, because you can, you wrote a book in this case, other people have another goal and, and we're, a lot of us are sitting on those goals. It might be a career goal or a, I want to start my own business goal or a relationship goal or some sort of health and wellness goal. And I know so many of us, are sitting on top of that idea and we're scared to let it out. And there's so much fear holding us back. And what I loved about your book is you really break it down and you make, you make it so accessible. This book, guys, is for anyone who needs to be inspired. Like your heart is there, you have an idea, or you know there's an idea burning deep within you, but you need a kick in the pants of reality. And Erin, I just think that you've done that in such an accessible way. And so one of the things that you start with, and one of the best lines in the book, Erin, is you say, the inspiration we're waiting for before we start is on the other side of starting. And, and that's the example that you just gave, right? Like the first action is the antidote to the fear. Is that right? Uh, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, that I've just I work with a lot of artists and entrepreneurs and I find with with artists and, you know, it could be songwriter, actor, um, designer. I, one of my clients is like a, you know, makeup artist for one of the pop stars. Like I, a lot of in like the design and artists and filmmaker type stuff. And, and a lot of artists get stuck in the lie that they, they need inspiration in order to start. As soon as the inspiration kicks, I'll just, I'll just do it. And then I find that's true as I talk to anybody in any field that they're like, Oh, when I, and, and it's not just inspiration, this phrase could be shifted too. So it's like the information you're waiting for in order to start is on the other side of starting that mm -hmm. that the resources you're waiting for in order to start are on the other side of starting it's like once we get the ball rolling that then we find everything we need on the other side of it that's so true and i want as we go through this conversation i want you guys to consider in your own minds what is your dream what are you sitting on top of and i want you to keep that in your mind as we have this conversation is it a career goal is it a health and wellness goal and and aaron to your point when it comes to health and wellness, for example, the word that people use instead of inspiration a great deal of the time is motivation. And they're seeking motivation. And my response to that, by the way, I'm, I'm entirely guilty of that as well. But the answer to seeking motivation is go get it, like go create it. Motivation is on the other side of starting. It doesn't land on you like a rainbow. I, I mean... <laughs> 
Yeah, I totally. And and I'm the the reason I write this stuff and and I the re, and the reason it's so clear to you and clear in my mind is because of so many failures. I like been through all the all the pits and all that stuff. So I'm like I, when I'm describing it, I'm just describing what I've done a million times and and when I don't do that, I get a better result. Well, you truly have a story of transformation and I think it would be useful to share what was life like for you growing up or or 10 years ago? I mean, were you feeling inspired and hoping to inspire others and feeling like you could conquer the world? Or did you perhaps have a slightly different experience that led you to this place? Yeah, it wasn't that. I, no, I, I grew up, see, I grew up uh, in a very uh, impoverished home. I, I, you know, my mom and dad split when I was really young and my mom was working two to three jobs. I say all that to say, not like, Oh, poor me. And you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You're awesome. Not that, but just to say that that instilled in me a certain mindset of scarcity and poverty and, and lack and, 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 a, just this idea that not much was possible for me. So it took a lot of years for me to, to break that pattern. So when I, you know, before I was with my coach that day. In fact, that very, the day that he said some, said something that kind of shifted my mind and I started reading so much books and doing all this stuff was I was actually feeling depressed and very frustrated and dare I say angry because I, I, I felt like I was really trying and pushing and, and doing everything I can. It was like white knuckling it so hard, but nothing seemed to break. And I was just like at, at a loss. And so things really shifted shifted for me around that time. And I kind of had lived that way for years. Yeah. So your background was even more than just impoverished. It was tumultuous. It sounds like from some of the things and, and, and people can read about it in the book, but I know that you, I mean, you had to move out of the house before you even graduated from high school. I know that it was a childhood that must have created a great deal of scarcity and abandonment issues and fears and victimhood if you will, or a predilection for victimhood. Is that fair? Yeah. Not just a predilection. I mean, I, I, I felt like a victim for many, many years. I mean, I'd say, I'd say decades even, even. Yeah. (laughs) Aaron, so many people are still stuck in the white knuckling phase and they're still, you know, whatever, again, maybe it's not their whole life. Maybe it's just a goal they're trying to reach, or maybe it's their body they're trying to be comfortable in, or maybe it's a relationship that they're white knuckling through. But Aaron, like how, how do people make the switch? Is it divine? Like you have to wait for it to happen to you? Does it, what is the magic that truly interrupts our patterns and our, our beliefs that we are victims or beliefs that we are lesser than? Like, how does that work? It, is it magic? <laughs> It, you know, sometimes it feels like magic to me, like as I'm working with my, my clients and, and I'm, you know, I'm doing my, my thing and I, I know a few things about a few things that we work with them. And then all of a sudden they just have this massive breakthrough. And I'm like, I don't know how it happened. Like it just kind of feels like magic, but, but here are some ways that it happens. But to, to answer your question directly, I think the answer is in the question, like, how do we get out of victimhood? And I think it's, it's the thing that was the most powerful for me and, and tends to be most powerful for my clients is how do we get out of victimhood is taking ownership. So for me, the more ownership I could take over my own life, over my own decisions, over all the results that I have in my life, the more power I get to create something new. Because as long as I think that I didn't create this uh, result that I have in my life, then I become a victim to it and then I become powerless. But if I can take 100% up to 100% responsibility for every single result I have in my life, and I know that's 
it's a hard pill to swallow. But for me, taking responsibility, even for things in your life that you feel like are, are not good, taking responsibility, a lot of responsibility for that is not a blame and shame and credit kind of thing. For me, it's if I take ownership, the more ownership I have, the more power I have to, if I created that, then I can create something new. And I mean, that's like, I could write 500 books on that. That's such a small little, you know, there's so much more to that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so true though. I'm so glad that you said that. And accountability is oftentimes the first thing to go if we're feeling hurt or if we're feeling Mm -hmm. victimized. Um, and truly it's one of the most powerful values that we can that we can actually have with regard to any goal or any situation that we're facing so i'm so i'm so glad that you that you answered that way and i i want to hear about how that happened for you because you come from this place where you know you're you're angry at this point and you're white knuckling through life and like a lot of people you're working you know what we say when we're in that place, I'm doing the best I can. I'm working mm-hmm. as hard as I can, you know, and I'm not yeah. getting the result that I want. What result is whatever X result that you want. So what happened? Yeah. When just a comment on what you said, something that just came to mind is that part of the reason that we continue to white knuckle things is because it works for a while. Like just flat out hard work with no vision and no transformation. It actually does yield a certain amount of results, but it has a very low ceiling of just like, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to work hard. What does it take? It takes hard work. You know, it's like um, that. But there is there is a low ceiling to that. But we keep thinking we're going to get a bigger result out of that. So let me just tell you a little bit about my story. What happened with me is when I was had all my complaints, you know, our complaints and I, I had a lot of them. Our complaints are declarations of of victimhood. And so when I complain, I'm saying I'm powerless over this thing. And so as I was like unloading my complaints to him, one of the things he said was uh, he said, who would you have to be in order to get the results that you want in your life? And that was a very confusing thing to me at the time. Who would I have to be? I'm, I'm me. What are you talking? I was, it was almost even like annoying. Like it don't give me your like psycho babble, just like help me to get out of this, this funk. But as I started thinking and marinating on this idea of like, um, being like we could actually, our way of being has a huge effect on the results that we get in our lives. And, and let me just define that because people have a different, you know, kind of definition for that, for way of being. But for me, my way of being is what I think about myself and what I think about, um, the circum, my circumstances. So how, how I perceive that and what stories I'm believing that are keeping me having the results that I want in, in my life right now. And, and I say that I want on purpose too, because a lot of times we're like, well, I don't want these results, but there's something inside of us there. We have competing, we have competing visions in our lives that we're not always aware of that one of them ends up winning out. And so a lot of times we have things in our life that we say we don't want, but there's some payoff we're getting for holding mm-hmm. on to that. Absolutely. And Absolutely. And our thoughts and beliefs, they keep taking us to the same place. So even when we do want mm-hmm. to change our intention or we maybe even try to change our actions, it might be short term if our thoughts and beliefs keep driving us back to the same place. In fact, you, 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 Share your GPS analogy because I think it's just brilliant. I kind of gave it away. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Yeah, for me, it's like 
when we work hard, it's in, okay, so it's like a GPS system that's broken. So we have a broken GPS and we keep typing in different addresses over and over again, but it keeps taking us to the same place because the GPS is broken. And so that, to me, that's the analogy of we're inside of our thoughts and beliefs and no matter how many, we're like, I tried this and I tried this and I'm working really hard and I tried this and I tried this. I've tried everything. I've gotten all this advice and I've tried everything. But what happens is we're, we're, are the things that we're doing are with the same way of being because the way of being needs to shift. So we actually need to reprogram that GPS and open it up to more options so that we can plug in our level and quality of actions change. And then our results begin to change. I know it sounds pie in the sky and I know it sounds too simple, but it obviously in in my book and with my clients, I, I flesh it out to where it makes more sense and, and, and they, they get results. So if what you're doing isn't working, then we really need to examine to examine what we're being yeah we, um, and more specifically examine examine what we're believing for and you know of course that, that's the being but examine what we're believing specifically about that thing and usually the way that we can find out it's not just like hocus pocus and like oh it's this magic and I'll pull it out because I'm a guru it's nothing like that it's super simple it's just when we are we know what we're believing by examining our complaints so what are your complaints what are your persistent complaints about this particular thing and not like a complaint like oh I'm cold but like a, more of a, a complaint that is persistent a complaint that's like um, uh, that industry is too oversaturated. And so th- that's like that's a hardcore belief that's going to very much affect all of the actions that you do and your level and quality of actions as you do them. I mean, there's a million different complaints, but for an example. Well, let's get to brass tacks because you you have because you call these rackets. And so we can actually walk through what this process looks like for people because I think it's so relatable. But you're saying that these rackets are stories that we make up about ourselves or about others or about the world around us. And they're in competition with what we what we say we really want in life or what our deepest, deepest desires are. And so you're saying the first thing is to identify what that complaint is and not the, not the I'm cold, I stub my toe complaint, but the limited voices that we hear or the, the feeling that we're an imposter or we're not good enough or no matter what we do, it'll never be enough and perfection is the goal. And that sort of limiting voice, is that is that step one, understanding what those patterns are for us? Yeah, first of all, spot on of everything you're saying. And then and and to answer your question, yes, that that is that's the first part. Well, I I told you I resonate with your book because it just arrived at just the perfect time in in my life and I feel so blessed to be able to connect with people like you and then share this stuff with the world. Um you say when you can sort of identify those limiting voices or identify those patterns, then the next thing to do is to examine how we react when we believe that that belief is true or that limiting voice is true. What does that look like? Yeah. So, so let's just, I'll give you an example of mine just to bring it, bring it down to earth for, for the listeners that, okay. So for me, one of my big complaints at the time when I was sitting there with my coach was I don't have what it takes. And I find that this is a pretty common kind of racket or complaint that, that people have. So I, I don't have what it takes. And then I, I'll just notice what is, what is my behavior like uh, that's associated with that complaint or how do I react or what's kind of going on inside of me? 
me? How do I feel in my chest? Like what, what, what happens? So for me, when I think I don't have what it takes, say to be a successful actor, uh, what does it make me feel? It makes me feel, uh, despair, hopeless. I, you know, if, if I'm working on a script, I won't put as much time into it. Cause I'll be like, what's the point? This is never going to work out. I should be putting my time towards something that's actually going to pan out or, you know, so I just notice it demotivates me. Uh, I, I, I avoid it. And I, all of a sudden the dishes seem so important. I got to do them right now. You know, so I just notice my behavior. So yeah, that's the second step. Well, the third one to me is the money shot because the third one is where you understand or uncover the payoff for believing that the limiting voice is true. This is huge, Aaron, because we are getting something out of everything we're doing, good or bad, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. We don't do anything unless we're getting something out of it. And I know that that's like, wait a minute, I'm more altruistic than that. I, I get that. But even th- our most altruistic acts make us feel good about ourselves and make us feel good about what we're doing in the world. So we only the we only do things that we're getting stuff out of. And once we understand that, it helps us walk down this road that you're talking about of understanding that there are certain payoffs we're getting out of the actions that are getting the things that we say we don't want. Well, and whatever goal that I challenge you guys, remember to think of a goal as we have this conversation, whatever idea or dream or goal that you're thinking of and sitting on, this payoff question, what is the payoff for believing those limiting voices? This is everything. So what Aaron says is he says, here's why I choose to entertain this illicit operation when I do. It allows me to have a good excuse. This is the, this is allowing the limiting voice to rule, I imagine. It allows me to have a good excuse to play small, to stay safe, and to never have to actually do the hard work of testing the truth of whether it's impossible to achieve my dream or not. As long as I believe it's virtually impossible, then my lack of risk-taking begins to feel to me like a prudent decision. I mean, Aaron, so many people can relate to that. But again, you take any goal, like if I'm just trying to get back on track and become the athlete that I'm accustomed to being, and I've sort of fell off the wagon this year and, and I don't work hard to do that because all of a sudden I find 75 priorities that are ahead of taking care of myself or working out or training or anything of that nature, then, then I have 1 million payoffs around why that was a solid idea, like the rationale behind it. But also the payoff for me is that I don't have to deal with the deeper issue. I don't have to worry. I don't have to deal with the fear that, well, maybe I won't get back there. or Maybe I'm not good enough. Or maybe I'm not this. Maybe I'm not. Because I'm just too busy, Aaron. Do, do, am I making any sense? You're you're making a ton of sense. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed. <laughs> we, we stay safe by letting those limited voices have their way with us. It's easier. Yeah, and and I I think that's what most of the rackets come down to is exactly that. It's it's moving toward what we feel like is safety, what we feel like is security. That that that's what most battles against our commitments because our our commitments all of our commitments and our goals are in a space of uncomfortability. They're outside our level of comfort. They're, they're where fear lives. And so safety and this feeling of security is what is what we go to go toward instead. In fact, one, I just, I write these little quotes online, but one of the things just recently I was writing that I was thinking about for my own life, again, these aren't like, hey, I've got it all figured out. It's like, oh, here's something I struggle with. Here's the deal. So the quote goes like this, lack of action, toward one's dream is the fantasy of safety inside the passivity of fear. 
Okay, that was like a doctorate. Okay, let's start at the yeah, beginning. Sorry. Yeah, so, so let's, let's so, so la- we'll just break it down because I think this is, to me, this is like the bottom line it's of important. what we're talking about. And and so lack of action towards one dream. So anytime we're shrinking back or avoiding doing the even small task that will lead toward our dreams, I say is a fantasy of safety. Like it's this idea that we will we will actually get safe. I, I think it's, it's the opposite. It's a fiction. I, I think it's literally the opposite because our dreams and our fears are what lead to freedom and lead to not safety in so much like, oh, I'm not going to be hurt here, but a safety in confidence and building skill and building, you know, a, a, a legacy that we can leave in the world and powerfully serve the world. So it's it's the fantasy of safety inside the passivity of fear. So we live ah. in our fear and inside this passivity inside that fear because we think it's going to make us safe, but it's actually just going to isolate us and make us full of a lot of regret. Oh my gosh, there's so much here that I want to talk to you about. Okay, so <laughs> the, the first connection that my brain just made is that goes back to you saying that inspiration is on the other side of starting mm-hmm. and beating that fear back is on the other side of starting. And, and you went on to say back in that section in the book, you said, when we get into action, even three to five minutes, for example, we begin to see that task differently and it's not as impossible. And so what is the smallest step that I can take to pursue, you know, this dream or this goal? What is the smallest step that I can take? Because that action breeds its own momentum, but more importantly, it proves to oneself that it's not actually impossible. So, so just coming back to the idea of take any action. So that's where my brain went first, but then it did this. (laughs) (laughs) Then it led to another point that you made in the book about pessimism, because I don't know about you, Aaron. I don't know how you identify, but I identify as a realist, which is a very realistic and jaded way of really, um, you know, covering up the fact that I'm a pessimist. I, I think I'm a natural born pessimist. What about you? I I am. I am. And, and I'm glad you said that because th- that, are you saying that because that's one of the things I mentioned in the book? Like I, I say realist is actually a euphemism for pessimist, right? Oh, wait, I didn't underline that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I forgot yeah. that you said that. But when you were talking, when you were sharing that quote with us, what you made me realize is we do the same thing with our pessimism. Because here's where you kicked my butt in your book. Here's what I did underscore. You said a pessimistic outlook has certain immediate payoffs, one in particular being emotional preparation. And then you go on to say that it gives us some perceived pessimism, gives us some perceived power by slightly disconnecting us from our desires. So when I was sort of metabolizing that, I was like, so really, it gives us emotional preparation, like, so we can't be disappointed and our hearts are already hardened. But it also gives us like a perceived sense of power or of control uh, in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. I think so. So if I can disconnect myself from my feelings a little bit with my pessimism, ah, it's probably not going to work out anyway. And oh, I'm going to go, but it's not going to work. But like, who cares? I don't even care. If I can kind of disconnect myself from my emotion with my pessimism, then the reality uh, is that it's like what I was talking about earlier with the working hard, the white knuckling thing. It actually works a little bit. So we continue to hold on to it. It's kind of the same with pessimism. It, it, It actually works that it does lessen our disappointment in the 
day-to-day stuff, and so we continue to do it. But here's the problem. When we live with that pessimistic view, there's a constant dark cloud over our head of pessimism and negativity, which begins to yield results that we say that we don't want, and we're not getting the things that we want in our life. So there's a huge, huge like opportunity cost to, to pessimism. Well, and the reason my brain jumped to that and created that parallel is because of the the thought that you were sharing with us that uh, essentially it's a type of passivity. And that that's where you get someone like me who's like, wait, I'm not passive. I'm the least passive person you know. And then I'm like, well, actually the payoff for me, because that's what you said. You said there's a payoff with pessimism and it is a type of passivity and it is a type of... Mm, laziness, not laziness, but fear of being vulnerable and a, a, the the myth that you can actually control a situation or manage your own expectations. But because optimism is scary is what I'm trying to say. Optimism makes you vulnerable. Optimism is frightening. And, and I love that you, you started saying lazy and then you backtrack because intuitively, you know what I know that laziness doesn't even really exist. Laziness is actually is is fear is a fear of stepping out and stepping up so you know when when there's a lazy teenager sitting on their couch playing video games all day and the parent thinks oh there's they're just so lazy it's not lazy as much as it is there are there are hopes and dreams that this cynic doesn't want to put themselves out there for so it's like a it's a fear of stepping up and a stepping out but it looks like laziness Okay. And so that's what we, we, we hide behind some of these, these labels. And really they're all just stories that we tell ourselves and it, to, to, that keep holding us back, but there's a payoff in, in doing so. So before I get too meta on everybody and I, I'd love to talk in tactics here because you say, you say optimism can be learned. And, and then you say, stop thinking of it as a personality type, which is totally how I think about it. Stop thinking of it as a personality type and start thinking about it as a tool. And that got my attention. And I want to know how you do it, Aaron. How do you use this tool? And how did you learn optimism? And how do you leverage it in your day-to-day life? All of that, all of those things. <laughs> Every, I'll tackle all of that and I'll do all it in like it. one minute. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, let me just be clear that I'm still learning. I'm still learning optimism, uh, optimism. But but here's the way I'm I'm training myself, and here's how it's affecting me, and how it affects my clients. So optimism starts with it is something you can be learned. I mean, there have been these huge studies that have been done on optimism recently over several years, and and what the the, the most surprising thing was that yes, it can be learned. Begins with your language. So for me, I I begin to look at uh, or listen to my clients' language and begin to just like um, just correct their language enough to where it starts becoming annoying enough to where they they start correcting themselves when they hear it. So when I hear words like, um, I should do this, or um, I... Uh, I, I have to do this or any any type of language that that smacks of any type of victimhood, I'll usually just bring it up and bring it up and bring it up and bring it up and I'll notice it for myself and begin to change even just the small things. Again, this this isn't all of the work I do. It's not super meta like, oh, if you don't understand all these things, you can't wrap your mind around it. Mm-hmm. It's really simply here is just notice your language and the language that that is anyway victimized by like the shoulds and the have tos and the what else would it be like um, I even I need to anything like that we don't need to do anything we don't have to do anything there's no should there's no like big cop in the sky that's like you need to you should do this like most of us aren't under our parents thumb anymore we're older than that so all that kind of language is is a language that lends toward pe- 
pessimism. So the first thing I do is begin to just say things out loud that are different than that. So instead of should and have to and need to, I'll just say, I want to, I'm committed to, or I'm not going to do it. So it's, it's all language of commitment, language of action, language of I'm in the driver's seat here and I'm committed to this. So that's a very simple way to begin to reprogram your language. And then another one is I actually... I can't, I think there's a lot of power in saying your vision out loud. You're de declaring what your vision is out loud. And so I actually do this in the morning. I go on walks and I, I look like probably like a crazy person, but I put my earbuds in. So it looks like I'm talking on the phone. <laughs> now, <laughs> and we, just, now we know. <laughs> now you know. And, and I'll just, I'll declare what it is that I'm, that I'm committed to, what it is that I'm interested in, wh where it is that I'm going. And it's not like the secret, like I'm going to attract it by saying it. I mean, there's a little tiny bit of truth to that, but it's more just a declaring what I'm about. So my brain can hear me say that, that I, you know, I'm the lead in my own show. I'm uh, my own show on HBO. Like I'm just going to say that every single day to where my brain, the reticulating activating reticular activating system in the brain begins to be like, Oh, is that true? Well, I'm going to look out for opportunities of how that might become true. And then I'm going to be focused in that direction because I'm telling my brain, this is where I want you to look. And this is the problem I want you to solve. Wow. That's really powerful. And it reminds me that you have another tool that you use that I think is so cool. Can you tell us about the truth about you list? Yeah, I, I read it every morning. I, I read it this morning. I, I've so th that's actually a great segue too, because it's the same part of this positive, you know, not just positive thinking. I, I, I don't, you know, to me, when people hear positive thing or when I hear, it, I think of like the idea of like I look in the mirror and I'm like, you're great and you're special <laughs> and you're going to be awesome. That I, you know, I that doesn't work. I mean, Yay! in the 60s. <laughs> In the 70s, like we thought maybe that worked, but 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 there's something, there's a truth in it. And here's where I think it becomes more poignant, like more like here's what's actually going to have effect. So my truth about you list is when I, I'm constantly identifying my complaints as we talked about and the things that these things that repeat over and over in my mind. And what I do is I listen in the world for the things that people say to me or about me and and as they counter very specific lies that I have, I write that and you know, particularly people that I respect, I write those down in what I call the truth about you list because I wake up in the morning and oftentimes what I think is the truth about me, I just have all these fearful thoughts oftentimes in the morning and it's just like, you suck, you're not going to make it, you're going to lose everything, this isn't going to work. It's just like all those thoughts come flooding back in. I don't know if that's just me, but that's, that's what I struggle with in the morning. So I pull out my truth about you list and it's all the things that I struggle with, but it's what people I respect have said that are very specific truth that counters a very specific lie. It's this idea that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the lies that are keeping us bound, those complaints and the lies about what is not possible for us because there's infinite possibility in reality. So one thing that I love that you explain is that it's not just every time someone says something lovely to you, right? But it's when someone says something to you or gives you feedback about something that you are specifically trying to talk down that limiting voice in your head. I mean, you just said that, but I just want to make sure that, that we all understand that, that you're not just writing down, oh, Aaron's hair looks great today. Um, right. But that when you get feedback that is specifically targeting your demons, then you capture that. I mean, wow. I bet we all wish we had started that list 20 years ago. 
It's so helpful because then I just reviewed. It takes me five minutes in the morning, maybe ten at most. But it's it it like recenters me into the real me, like who I actually am. And just to like give you an example, so uh, my wife doesn't even know that she just texted me right before this call, and and I you know I, yeah I wrote this book, but I'm actually almost finished with my second book, and I kind of been feeling like I don't know if I'm good at this or whatever. And my wife has I didn't even tell her that, but but she just texted me, and I sent a text to my family, and th- you know there's like some little bit of drama going on with my family around Christmas, nothing major, but, and I just sent a text to them, you know, I thought it out and then I sent a text to them and she's like, I love that text that you sent to, uh, to the family. She's like, you are so good with words. And I, so that's one where what I'm dealing with right now, I, I have huge respect for my wife and she doesn't just throw around compliments out of anywhere. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to put that in my truth about you list because it counters a very specific lie that I'm struggling with right now. And if she believes that about me, then Maybe it's more true than I suck and I'm never going to be a successful writer. You know what I mean? The, all those whatever yeah, thoughts absolutely. I have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because no matter what, whenever we get feedback, and, and this is a tired anecdote, but you know, if you give a presentation and there are 100 people in the room and 99% of them give you a standing ovation and one of them is <laughs> disgruntled, who do you think of? Like, who's the only one you remember? Mm-hmm. And that's it's where so our brain crazy. goes, right? Like it grabs onto that. And so what you're doing is you're creating a mechanism for yourself, a literal one that reminds you of all of the things that our minds tend to gloss over because for whatever reason, we are so attracted to those negative core beliefs. They're very, they're, they must be magnets. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, just to, from what you're saying is I, we are, it's almost a way of brainwashing myself. Like I read these truth about you and it's a, it's a form of brainwashing, but here's the thing. Cause brainwashing kind of, I know that has a weird connotation. We're brainwashing ourselves every day, all day with our limiting voices. Exactly. So they're going on constantly. So this is just countering what's already going on to be in the, to be in the game, to be in the, in the battle against those. Well, Aaron, as we come to a close here, I want to know, I want to remind people that, that your book again is for anyone who wants to really, really push themselves to take the next step or someone who wants to be inspired. So maybe your one action today is to read this book or to gift this book. But Aaron, what advice would you give for somebody who's like, okay, you stirred something in them today. You know what I mean? And they're like, what, you know, I've been sitting on this dream or I have this vision or I'm not where I want to be with regard to X, Y, Z. Like, what is your advice to them? How do they make that more real today? Yeah. And it comes back to something you're saying earlier about the small chunks. So he, here's what I would say. Like what, when I begin working with clients, the first thing I do is I kill their dreams. I don't want them to have dreams. I don't want them to have this hope and this wish and they're wishing upon a star and they're longing and they're wishing. I don't want any of that. I, it's, it's, it's simpler than that. It's not, it's not as like weird and futury as that. I want them to pull that out of the future, that dream out of the future. I want them to put it in the present moment, like literally this present moment. Moment, and I want them to spend five minutes doing 
anything that they can imagine that would begin toward that toward that thing, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. I would say just spend five minutes today and commit to spending five minutes tomorrow and commit to spending five minutes the next day. Just start out really small. It's like the um, the ancient proverb that says, um, little by little, a little becomes a lot. And that's so true that that's how everybody's successful. We want to do this giant leap into the future, but it just doesn't work that way for anybody. It's these small, tiny little actions over time that yield these massive results. So it's like a, the old saying, it's like, when's the best time to invest in your retirement? 20 years ago. When's the next best time is today. So today, just today, start something for five minutes and, and begin doing that. Right Write down a little plan of something you're going to do because everybody can spare five or 10 minutes. And then after two or three or four weeks of just doing a small amount, you'll be shocked at how much you've accomplished and how much your mindset has shifted about what is possible toward accomplishing that specific vision or dream. Well, and you are testimony to that fact, Aaron. Thank you so much. I could talk to you for days. (laughs) Likewise, Elle. This has been a blast. Well, I can't wait to connect with you again. I know that we will, Aaron, but congratulations on this. But more importantly, um, thank you for putting this out in the world and, and allowing us to then facilitate conversations like this. So it's truly, it's truly inspiring because it reminds us of our greatness. It reminds us that there's so much more and it's so easy to get caught up in the day today. But I'll save all of this for my takeaways at the end of the show. And for now, Aaron, I will bid you adieu. Thank you, Ella. Nice talking to you. Hey, if you want to find Aaron, I'll give you some links in the show notes. But Aaron, do tell us when for those who want to connect with you right now, where should they find you? Yeah, good place. I mean, online, all the social media is just at Aaron Anastasi with like Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And then for my book website, it's like thevoiceofyourdreams.com. That's the name of the book, The Voice of Your Dreams. All right. Fantastic. We'll get everybody hooked up there, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, hey, it's me. I want to talk to you about some of my takeaways. Whenever I do a show like this, you know, there's never enough time to say all the things. And I wanted to share with you some of my points to ponder so that we can walk away from this, you know, truly motivated, truly ready to take some action. Now, rather than let perfection be the enemy of good, I'm going to do this really raw. Okay, so this is a little bit messy, but I just want to share some of my thoughts with you. So the first takeaway that I had was how this is all great and wonderful and we love talking to people who are sort of on the other side of whatever challenge but but how how do we get there how do we make that happen whichever goal or dream or vision you have in mind start asking yourself questions that people like bonnie kelly a few episodes ago and aaron anastasi in this episode the challenge questions that they're telling you to ask yourself like what is the limiting belief what are the patterns i keep creating for myself? What are the stories I keep telling myself? What are my negative core beliefs? What are these negative limiting voices that I am witnessing in my own life? Because they're there and they are a pattern and they will reveal themselves to you the moment you start asking that question and looking for them. And then start challenging them. Is this really true about me? Do I know this to be unequivocally true? What if this weren't true? who would I be? What would I be capable of doing? Can I think of any examples of when this limiting belief, this negative core belief, can I think of any examples of when this 
hasn't been true in my life. Okay, so when we start challenging ourselves, when we start identifying and then challenging these negative core beliefs, that is the process. That is the how. It is the catalyst for change in your life, the being inquisitive and being observant rather than sleepwalking through the same patterns and the same day over and over again and wondering why you're not getting a different result. So so that's kind of where I start with this. The second thing is I love what Aaron said when I said, yeah, but how? And he said, well, it starts with being accountable. Or he said, it starts with ownership. Same thing. It starts with claiming responsibility for these beliefs to begin with. Not how they got there, mind you, but the fact that we allow ourselves to perpetuate them. My, my good friend, Elizabeth Benton, she says very often, I don't know if she's quoting somebody else or not, but I'll quote her. She says, you know, when you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. What I'm challenging us with is to take complete ownership over these limiting beliefs in an effort to regain control and our understanding that we are in control of our beliefs and our thoughts and our actions, not our circumstances, but our beliefs and our thoughts and our actions. And there is so much power in that. I could very obviously go on. Maybe this is what my first book will be about. I have so much I want to say and share with you and talk with you about here. Okay. So the third takeaway for me is Aaron's point and something that I I believe in and I'm not always a model of and that is take any action action is the antidote to fear I say this to my son you know he's he's scared of public speaking I don't think he would mind me sharing that and it's something that he's been working on for years I mean he used to be like totally incapacitated when he had to do anything in front of an audience and it's something that he's working on. I said, you know, not many people are born comfortable with public speaking (laughs) and that the antidote to that fear as with any other is to take any action and prove to yourself that that fear is in the smallest way unfounded and that, and that these things are not impossible and action breeds momentum. And so whether you're trying to get to exercising again, or whether you're trying to start treating your body better or stop binge eating or whether you're trying to start your own business or whether you're trying to have a better relationship with somebody in your life, the best antidote to your fears about all of those things is to take any action in the right direction. Okay. Um, Pessimism as being a contrived safety zone That kicked my butt when Aaron said, optimism is not a personality type, consider it a tool. That just completely reframed the concept for me and made me realize that pessimism or what I call my own sense of realism is really a safety measure and it's a way of protecting ourselves and keeping us from being vulnerable. Whether it's pessimism about your abilities, uh, your belief in yourself, any of those things, it's really just an excuse. That was very, very... uh, eye-opening for me and gave me something to think about there as well. Okay. I hope some of that resonates with you. I hope that you took something away from this conversation. Aaron Anastasi, what a wonderful guy. I will of course share this book with you. The voice of your dreams, turn down the voices of limitation and turn up the volume of success. It's great for you. It's great as a gift. It's also great if you're a parent or if you have uh, developing people in your life who would benefit from, from having their eyes opened uh, to this type of personal development. That's it. Love you guys. Bye. 
Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.